BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Hello, and welcome back to ACRAC. I'm Jed Wolpaw, and we've got a really great show for you today. It's a little different. This is actually a podcast that was put together by one of the residents at Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center, Elena Madan. She had this idea years ago when she was still a medical student to try to put together a podcast episode on how to do a really good job with pre-op presentations of a case to your attending the night before. To her credit, she put a lot of time over years into trying to talk to a bunch of people, different attendings, figure out what people prefer and really what would make best practice for presenting this. And especially at this time of year, as our new CA1s across the country are starting, I thought this would be really useful to have on our feed as well so people can hear it. And even if you're not a CA1, this is really good stuff just about how to think about putting together important information in a presentation of a case, whether it's in anesthesiology or really anything else, how to be concise. I tell our medical students a lot, when you're presenting a case, it's easy to present everything and just go on and on and on and on and cover everything in the entire chart. You could just read the chart and it would take a long time, but you'd cover everything. The hard part is figuring out how to really emphasize what's important. And so I think this is a really good example of how to do that well. So without further ado, here is Dr. Elena Madan, along with one of her attendings, Dr. Lauren Boole, playing the role of the resident. And you'll see they kind of take you through a conversation. It's really well done. Enjoy. I hope you get a lot out of it. And here they are. Hi, everyone. My name is Dr. Elena Madan. I'm an anesthesiology resident at Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center. In this podcast, I will be providing you with a framework to apply towards presenting an anesthetic plan to your attending. By the end of this podcast, you will be able to delineate the components of a patient's medical history that are relevant to anesthesia and surgery, describe the stages of an operation that should be addressed in an anesthetic plan, and demonstrate the ability to formulate a comprehensive, organized anesthetic plan as it relates to a patient's condition, comorbidities, and the planned surgical or diagnostic procedure. Let's imagine you're a chief resident, and you stop by the resident lounge before heading home. You see one of the CA1 residents sitting on the couch, staring down at a dark stack of preoperative notes, looking dejected. Clearly they're upset about something, so you decide to do a little digging to find out. Hey, what are you looking at? 
Anything I can help you with? I don't think I'm cut out for this. I just got off the phone with my attending to discuss our patients for tomorrow, and before I was even halfway through my presentation, he said, I don't think you understand the point of this pre-op call. Call me back when you've thought about it some more. Ouch. That's a little harsh. But don't take it personally. He's said that to literally every resident to come through here since the 1980s. Why don't you try presenting to me, and we will figure out where it went wrong. What did you use for a one-liner? So here's how I started. Tomorrow, we have an inguinal hernia repair with Dr. Jones on a 64-year-old man with a history of basal cell carcinoma, BPH, coronary artery disease, gout, heart failure, hypothyroidism, hypertension, hyperlipidemia, and diabetes. And then Dr. Smith cut me off, and it all went downhill from there. Okay, so clearly you were very thorough when you looked up the patient. But the goal of a one-liner is to give just the key aspects of the patient's history and the procedure being performed, so the listener can then create an image of the patient as well as the tailored anesthetic plan. Maybe you could try something more like, Our first patient for tomorrow is a 64-year-old man with a history of mild systolic heart failure, hypertension, and poorly controlled type 2 diabetes, who's coming in for an elective laparoscopic inguinal hernia repair with Dr. Jones. Did you hear how I only mentioned the medical conditions most likely to affect his ability to tolerate anesthesia? I also described the severity of his heart failure and diabetes, and provided the extra detail that the case would be laparoscopic rather than open, which will all affect my anesthetic options. I guess I just wanted to show my attending that I did a really thorough history by including everything. You definitely want to do a thorough review of the patient's history, but not all of that will make it into your one-liner, or even into the entire pre-op discussion. What did you plan to say next, after your one-liner? I was planning to move on to past medical and surgical history, and then medications. That makes sense. Why don't you present those to me, and then take a stab at assigning an ASA physical status? Okay. The patient has a history of COPD, not on home oxygen, controlled with daily Montelukast and occasional albuterol, coronary artery disease, status post to coronary artery bypass graft in 2005, omitoprolol, lisinopril, and aspirin, with a recent ejection fraction of 60%, atrial fibrillation on Coumadin that was stopped five days ago, and diabetes mellitus on insulin with an A1C of 7.2, and hypothyroidism following a thyroidectomy that's managed with levothyroxine. I think he's an ASA-4. That was excellent! I really liked how you integrated his medications and pertinent lab values and studies with his medical conditions into a concise statement. It was also great how you covered the outpatient medications and highlighted the ones that would need to be held. That said, I think it sounds like this patient is an ASA-3. Remember, when you're trying to differentiate between an ASA-2 and 3, the ASA-3 patients have systemic disease that is either poorly controlled or limits their activities of daily living. ASA-4 patients, on the other hand, have a systemic disease that is a constant threat to life. In this case, the patient has a number of systemic diseases, including poorly controlled diabetes, but nothing that you would call a constant threat to life. Yeah, that makes sense. I should also mention, although it wasn't relevant to this patient, but I've started to specifically ask patients about their herbal medications since I learned that some of these supplements can have suboptimal side effects for anesthesia. Great catch. Herbal supplements can definitely affect metabolism of other drugs. For example, St. John's wort, an inducer of the cytochrome P450 system, can affect the metabolism of medications that use the same pathway, like midazolam and lidocaine, and this requires us to consider using higher doses. 
Do you think I should also elaborate on the prior cabbage and thyroidectomy? I always try to review the prior anesthesia records to find information about prior procedures like a difficult spinal or arterial line placement, and especially information about airway management. Not just the equipment that was needed or the view obtained, but especially how easy mask ventilation was. And this patient was an outpatient, but when I have inpatients and can do a physical exam before calling my attending, I also try to make a note of risk factors for difficult laryngoscopy like a short, thick neck, a thyromental distance that's less than three finger breadths, or a narrow palate. Sure. Reviewing prior anesthetic records will give you valuable information on the airway, ease of placement of invasive monitoring devices, and if there were any complications. It's also good to keep an eye out for surgeries that specifically affect the airway. An easy intubation for, might not be easy anymore if the patient has since had a cervical fusion. Ugh, I forgot to mention allergies. I guess it's most important to mention severe reactions to medications that we're likely to use interoperatively, like antibiotics, but maybe less important to bring up things more of an intolerance, like GI upset or medications that won't be used, like colchicine. Stay with us. We'll be right back with more on allergies in just a sec. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. All right, we're back with the Chief Resident's recommendation on how to present allergies. You are already a step ahead of me. When it comes to allergies, it's always a good idea to specify the reactions, not just the medications, as lots of reactions are inappropriately documented as allergies. You might say, his mother told him he had an allergic reaction to penicillin as a child, but he received a cephalosporin for his cabbage without any reaction. That makes sense. I think I also forgot to mention anything about patient size or BMI. I know extremes of size can make so many things more challenging, like intubation, IV placement, drug choices, positioning, and even extubation plans. Exactly. And in the current climate, it's also important to mention the patient's COVID status, negative, positive, or pending, so you know if the procedure can proceed or needs to be rescheduled, or if any precautions should be in place. That reminds me. I forgot to present other pertinent lab values last time, too. I guess I would highlight anything that's out of the normal range. Both great points. So what's next? How will you present your plan? I remember during my anesthesia rotation in medical school, the attending always said, to stay organized while presenting your plan, walk through the steps as you would do them. Start with room setup and monitors, then move on to vascular access and pre-medications, and finish with your plans for induction, maintenance, emergence, and disposition. That's great advice. And remember that your plan doesn't end when the patient leaves the operating room. You should think about whether your patient is at risk for post-operative complications like nausea and vomiting or difficulty with pain management. Then you need to develop an appropriate plan for prophylaxis. Do you remember the key risk factors for post-operative nausea and vomiting? Well, based on that 2012 paper by Affel and colleagues that analyzed risk factors for post-operative nausea and vomiting, the most reliable independent predictors of PONV were female gender, a history of PONV or motion sickness, non-smoking status, younger age, duration of anesthesia with volatile anesthetics, and post-operative opioids. Exactly. You've got your one-liner with a concise summary of your patient and the procedure. You mentioned how you could organize the rest of your presentation. You could go on to state what kind of anesthetic you would like to do, general, regional, both, as well as the rationale for that, 
then cover monitors, plans for induction, like meds and airway device and management, maintenance, emergence, and extubation. You should also discuss anticipated issues that are specific to the surgery and how you plan to handle them. For example, for a multi-level spine surgery, you might say, because this surgery can be associated with significant blood loss, I'm planning for at least two large bore IVs and an active Typen screen. Or for a carotid endarterectomy, you might say, I will have both nitroglycerin and phenylephrine drawn up to treat swings in blood pressure. Whatever you say, you should always have a rationale. So instead of saying, I'll place an arterial line because it's a craniotomy, you could say, an arterial line will help us maintain tight blood pressure control. As you get farther along in your training, it's important to get away from, this is what we always do, and to really consider your reasons for any monitor or medication. I like that. So how do I present the other comorbidities? For this patient, I know it's important to talk about ejection fraction with heart failure, oxygen use with COPD, and the hemoglobin A1C with diabetes. But what about things like GERD or asthma? You always want to relate comorbidities to how they will affect your anesthetic plan. Instead of saying just saying GERD or asthma by themselves, for GERD, the consideration should be whether or not to use an LMA or do a rapid sequence induction or pre-medications that aren't routine. For asthma, you want to talk about the frequency of inhaler use, any recent exacerbations or prior need for hospitalization, systemic steroids, or intubation. That makes sense. Now let's talk about some of the common mistakes that make for a poor presentation. Can you think of anything you might have said that didn't go over well with your attendings in the past? Oh yeah, I've had plenty of experience with poor presentations. If I think back, some of the definite don'ts that I wouldn't repeat are failing to make my plan specific to the patient and trying to use a one-size-fits-all approach, or just reading through the preoperative evaluation note and listing the facts without really trying to organize the information. Definitely. Your attendings can read for themselves, but they expect you to synthesize and interpret the data, not just report it. Now that I think about it, there are a lot of other things I wouldn't do again, like leaving out important lab findings and being poorly informed about medical conditions. Now, if my patient has a medical condition I'm unfamiliar with, I try to read a little bit about it before presenting my plan. Along those same lines, one don't that's almost funny is being unaware of what the surgical procedure is. If that's the case, you should read about it first and try to figure out if it will require you to adjust your anesthetic plan. I would think failing to complete a thorough chart review is also a big don't. I'm having a medical school flashback when my resident said, don't let your attending learn something from their chart review that you should have communicated in your presentation. That happens more often than you would think, but most attendings understand that early on you're still learning and will be trying to create teaching moments around those gaps in your presentation. I hope you're right. I've definitely had attendings who embrace the teaching moment and others who just seem upset by the quality of my presentations. There's definitely a steep learning curve. And it's helpful to remember you never know what else people have going on. If you approach your mistakes as an opportunity to learn, most of your attendings are more than happy to teach. I guess you're right. My takeaway so far is that attendings may have stylistic preferences about how they want to hear information, but fundamentally, they want to know that I have all the key information about the patient, have been able to organize it into a useful format, and have used it to formulate a thoughtful and safe anesthetic plan. Exactly. And as you progress through your training, try to focus on the pros and cons of your own plans and those of your attendings. For any part of the plan, 
you should be able to answer the question, why are we doing this? And think through why other approaches might be better or worse. If your attending disagrees with your plan, take the opportunity to ask them to discuss their rationale, but politely. Thanks for all the help. It's given me a lot to think about. But I guess it's also good practice for oral board exams down the road. Most definitely. Right. I love that. I hope you did too. I really like how they emphasize trying to connect what you're saying in terms of the comorbidities of the patient with how it's going to affect your anesthetic plan. Listing comorbidities without making that connection is, is really not that helpful and doesn't really demonstrate to your attending how you have uh, really put together and thought through the patient. So thank you to Dr. Madan and Dr. Bull. And good luck to all the CA1s out there as you embark on this really exciting journey. All right. Let us know what you thought. Go to the website, ACRAC.com, where you can leave a comment. Others can learn from what you have to say. If you are a fan of the show, you can follow us. We're on Twitter. We are on Facebook. We are on Reddit. And we are on Instagram. I'm at Jay Wolpaw on Twitter, and we're at ACRAC Podcast, and you can find us on all those other platforms as well. If you are a fan of the show, please consider going to Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts and leaving a comment and a rating. It really helps others find the show. If you'd like to support the making of the show, please consider going to patreon.com slash ACRAC, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash A-C-C-R-A-C, where you can become a patron of the show. Even if it's just a dollar or two that you pledge, it makes a big difference, and we really appreciate it. You can also make donations anytime by going to paypal.me slash ACRAC or looking up Jay Walpaw on Venmo. Thank you so much to those who have already made donations and become patrons. We really appreciate it. Thanks, as always, to our fantastic ACRAC crew. Dr. Brian Park is our tech lead. Ryan Okonski is our social media manager. Dr. April Liu and Edison Jang are our production assistants. Thank you so much for all that you do. Our original ACRAG music is by Dr. Dennis Quo. You can check out his website at studymusicproject.com. All right, that is it for today. For the ACRAG podcast, I'm Jed Wolpaw. Thanks for listening. Remember, what you're doing out there every day is really important and valued. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.